Yeah, the reading is from Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 16, and it's found on page 18 of the Bibles. And it continues the story from last week where Abraham has some visitors. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done. And if it is as bad as the outcry has reached me, if not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will, you not judge, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, what if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And Abram said, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord finished, had finished speaking with Abraham. He left, and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've heard and I've read several uh, sermons on this passage from Genesis 18, many of which have concentrated on how to pray, or the power of prayer, or aspects of prayer that are pleasing to God. And they're all good. But the passage is about so much more than that. If we look at the passage, a promise to Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So that's what I call a special relationship with God, a powerful call upon his life too. And it's on the basis of that relationship that Abraham pleases God and pleads for Sodom. Just a bit of context, 
the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They probably uh, have been on the southern tip of the Dead Sea, on low ground, what's described as the Plains of Jordan, quite a fertile area where Lot had grazed his flock. Abraham himself had settled higher up in the hills above the plain of Jordan towards the cities in Mamre. The low ground on which the cities would have been situated was probably 25, 30 miles away, something like that. Although, of course, having been destroyed, we can't know that for certain. But Abraham looked across towards the notoriously sinful cities. I'm sure his heart went out, went out to the righteous uh, living there by association to the lost. You know, I was reading up on Ivanhoe Beacon. Um, some of you may have climbed it, yeah? Well, I have anyway. Um, crawled up it maybe, or dragged up by the dog, um, or even enticed to climb by the promise of ice cream at base camp. But from its high point, you can see across six counties. That's quite a distance, isn't it? And I think of Abraham and his exceptional view from Mamre, how he would have seen towards the city of Sodom and almost detect the stench of their godlessness. Lot, his nephew, uh, was down below uh, there, and given the situation, was becoming increasingly drawn into Sodom, but he remained true to God. Here's what Second Peter says about Lot, that he was a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. The lawless. That's the people of Sodom. It was actually extracted from Sodom, as we know, before its um, destruction. Perhaps hear about that in subsequent sermons. I've entitled this message tonight, though, Man of Faith and God of Grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for great men of faith, for those who've been examples for us. Thank you for letting us see and know the challenges that they have faced. Let us see and know the weakness and the sins in which they have been involved in as well. As we think about that, as we hear from this passage in Genesis tonight, Lord, challenge us. Uh, call us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Help us to see you as the one who is prepared and ready to work in our lives in order that we may know you and follow you more fully. Give me, Lord, the wisdom in what I say um, to preach your word and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a reminder, uh, James chapter 2, verse 23, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. It was a man of unquestionable faith. Good, right? Well, he was anyway. Um, in various places in the Bible, we actually see Abraham acting in faith and obedience to God. Although, of course, not every time. In this instance, though, he certainly was. Let's take a moment uh, to look at the end of the previous passage, though, and uh, see where that came from, 
Abraham and Sarah had been visited by three emissaries of God, uh, verses 9 and 11. Um, he said, where is your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Abraham was um, challenged by the emissaries as to why Sarah had laughed at the promise. And it was reiterated in the words, is anything too hard for the Lord? And notice the contrast between Abraham and Sarah. Sarah laughed or scoffed at the prospect whilst Abraham seemed accepting. He wasn't the one who laughed. He believed that God would give him a son, an heir, even though he himself was old. So Abraham trusted God for a son when Sarah didn't. Could almost have become a motto for his life, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think it's from that base point that Abraham was able to address God over the issue of the destruction of Sodom. Well, God went on to fulfil his promise. He made those emissary, through those emissaries for an heir to Abraham. It had already been a long time coming. And even then, it wasn't going to happen straight away. But it was nearer then than at any other time in his life. And how must that have been so frustrating, that long wait that Abraham faced? Heir of the mighty promises from God, to have got to old age without the fulfilment of God's provision of a son. <coughs> uh, Christian life can be like that as well sometimes. Um, perhaps you're one who's waited so long uh, and trusted God to do something in your life or in the life of someone you know but it seems an age in coming well the good news for Abraham is that despite his wife's negative reaction God kept his promise and I think we can take heart from that God hears us he knows our needs and although it may seem a long time in coming he loves us so much that he is and will be faithful to us the visitors from the uh, previous passage uh, walked along towards Sodom. Abraham accompanied them. Common hospitality, as we heard uh, from Martin last week, but a sign of trust on both sides too. Note that this was a journey that would lead him not only to walk with these emissaries, uh, but to go on a journey with God. Abraham's unique faith led him to approach God in confidence and boldness, a faith that God would do what is righteous. And it's there that Abraham began to exercise this, his unique mission. Listen to this once again. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. What a mission. Abraham was believing God for that mission to be carried out, even for Sodom in their sin. How? Well, it was firstly to fulfil what God had chosen him to be, to become a great nation 
which will be a blessing to all nations on earth. How would that blessing ultimately come? Because in his mission call, God revealed his future plan, which would fulfill God's promise. It would take an incredible amount of trust and faith, a willingness to also point people to serving God, keeping his commands, plans and desires for humankind, and ultimately seeing the salvation of their God. He began aching for Sodom to turn around from their sin and act rightly. But it goes further than that, for Abraham to carry out this unique mission. It's knowing this, verse 19, for I have chosen him in doing this so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So not just his own children, but people in his own generation and beyond. And it's because of this. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. It's a truly unique mission to the world, to his own nation. And at that time to lead his own family, to keep the way of the Lord. Therefore, to influence nations and peoples yet to come. And it was a tall order. But it was one of the keys to Abraham's doing what is right and just. It's to direct, lead, guide, lead his people, people by example of faith. Imagine if Abraham didn't start where God had placed him, in that home nation, in that family. I think it's probably a salutary lesson for us all. Future generations, future families will be one to the Lord through the faithfulness, the righteousness and justice of this generation of followers of him. Through you and I. We too have a unique mission to the world. It's a tall order for us, I know, but it's um, something that we can rely on, as Abraham did, for that to come to pass. The good news, the good news was to pass to all peoples for a purpose, that they might know the blessing God has in store for them. So Abraham's unique mission, we just don't know what effect our own trust faithfulness and righteousness can have and will have on other people so it's a unique mission for us too and I love those words so the Lord will bring about that's where there's that big challenge a call to mission a call to be an influence and where that call is there's an even bigger God so that the Lord will bring about what he has promised what he desires. What a great promise. And what a great God Abraham had to lean on. What a comforting knowledge too that we, as sons of Abraham, know that song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons of Father Abraham. You remember that, of course you do. Um, I'm not going to sing it. But um, the sons of Abraham, we have God on our side going before us having us as part of his plan for the salvation of men and women. Abraham took his faith seriously, his mission with a trust in God, and therefore he engaged in an undaunted plea. Some would call it prayer. Abraham met with God on that road 
to Sodom. After his visitors had left him, in verse 22, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. There's an ancient Hebrew text that puts it this way. God stood before Abraham. Both are true, because Abraham, this just and righteous man, began a dialogue with God, testing out God's own justice and righteousness. We've heard of that already, as he applied the challenges of his own mission charge and notice in the passage that what ifs as it seems Abraham called God to account is he a God of justice and righteousness verse 23 will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked verse 25 far be it from you will not the judge of all the earth do right what if what if what if his dealings with God reveal his tenacity, both in proving God in this and in pleading for humankind, particularly for Sodom. He knew that nothing is too hard for God. And he negotiates down from 50, 50 righteous people, if there are those uh, numbers in that city, will you save the city? God said he would, but he negotiates right down to 10. And each time, God would save the whole city, an increasingly small number of righteous there. God indicated, if I find X number um, of righteous in the city of Sodom, I will spare the city from destruction. You see here, God's justice and mercy and righteousness standing alongside each other as he listens to Abraham's undaunted plea for Sodom. But here's the best of all. Abraham discovered, and we can celebrate the fact, that he is a God of grace. That there's a God of grace who made a unique choice. Someone said this, that Grace is when gives, God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And it was Abraham that he might be chosen by God for God's mission. What was so special about Abraham? What did he do to merit God's favour? The primary answer is nothing. Zilch. Nada. Not a single thing. Abraham didn't do anything at all to merit God's favour. He didn't deserve it that God had honoured him or revealed himself to him any more than you or I do. And God chose him because of God's grace, not for anything that Abraham did or could do. In fact, without God's grace, he would never have been able to play his part in God's redemptive plan. It experienced a self-revelation of God purely at God's own initiation. For I have chosen him, says in that passage. And it's true for us. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Amen.
Abraham discovered something else. After all his negotiating, pleading, testing God's willingness to save the city from sin, he learned that this God of grace is also a God who has an unchangeable, hey, the power of the finger, eh? an unchangeable <laughs> character, righteousness, justice, and mercy. God cannot do anything but be God. He won't deny himself. He is a God of righteousness. He will always continue to be a God of justice and mercy as well. The destruction of Sodom was going to happen because there was none to be found who was righteous, except Lot and his daughters, who were always due to be extracted. Or maybe his wife too, but she couldn't tear herself away from Sodom and didn't seem to be worth her weight in salt at that point. You'll have to read on um, in Genesis about her being changed to salt to get that joke, actually. And a righteous God demands righteousness in our own daily lives. And a just God must punish sin. But a merciful God doesn't give us what we deserve when we turn to him in repentance. The people of Sodom wouldn't do that. God actually visited them to see their sin. And Sodom was destroyed. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That evil city must go. This is a just, righteous and merciful God who doesn't want anyone in any age to go the same way as Sodom. So scripture points us to one who has come amongst us and will take the punishment that we deserve and die in our place. And this is the one to whom the choosing of Abraham by God points us. One born just over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, whose genealogy links them both. We know from Matthew chapter 1, this is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God's grace, his undeserved <coughs> merit and favour extends to each one of us through Jesus as he calls us to come to him. Jesus, a descendant of Abraham. Those who respond and receive him as their God, their Lord, their Saviour, will know his love and his care. As Abraham's unique mission sees its fulfilment. And then they will have an unassailable future. A place with God forevermore. Everlasting life. It's unassailable in that no one can rob us of our future with God when we see him face to face. No one can wrench us from his hand. Listen to this from Revelation 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God. And then speaking of us, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. It was what the Sodomites would never 
come to know. That's our unassailable future. We can be secure forever in the presence of God in his future kingdom. So by way of some application, God wants you and I to be part of his great plan of salvation. Great plan of salvation for others too. We can do that when we respond to his choosing. Because we're all called to live righteous lives. Not just Sodom, not just Abraham, but each one of us are called to live righteous life. But God knows that we fail to live up to his perfect standard. We've measured that uh, a bit tonight when we looked at the Ten Commandments. And I think I probably ticked most of the no boxes. Through the grace of God, Jesus offers us a new way, a new life, and a future that's secure if we turn to him in faith. And when we do that, we'll find that God has a unique mission waiting for you and I. Saved and sent, chosen for a purpose. It may be going out wide in service. It may be responding to the mission field on your own doorstep, within your own family. And that's hard, isn't it? In your own workplace, friendship groups, college, school. Or it may mean getting into some undaunted, determined, tenacious prayer. It involves then responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, using your gift in the service of God to point others in the way to which God is calling them, in which God is working today and offering a future with him. If you're a young person, I know to talk of the future may seem unreal. I mean, there's so much of the present to get to grips with, and it just seems like there's so much living to do as well. But God offers a new future, a satisfying presence more than anyone can ever imagine. He is your future and he wants you to trust him for that. If like me, you're older, I'll try not to look at anyone, and don't know what the immediate future holds for you, let me just remind you about Abraham's life, an old man whose life God broke into purposely with a promise for his future and through that future, the future with God for others. Speaking to his followers, Jesus promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. As an older person facing life, hold on to that. And come what may, he has a better and more secure future for you to enjoy. And if you're someone who's struggling uh, today, struggling with uh, life at the moment, whatever that may be, debt, illness, depression, grief, hurt, betrayal, anything that you feel is against you, please know this, that God is for you. God is for you. He would have been there for the people of Sodom had they not rejected him. God is for you. He knows your situation. He knows your need. He keeps those promises he's made. He keeps them to us 
Are you listening to this from the book of Lamentations? Well known passage. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You might know it uh, more popularly in this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. About having that as a verse to lean on, whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we're just in that place at the moment where we're struggling with life. Let me say this too. If you're here or listening online and don't know God by faith and trust him and you don't see an eternal future, then you can make that decision to follow him today. You can also know the calling of God upon your life and become a man or woman of faith in response. God will meet you there with his love, his forgiveness and make you this brand new creation. Don't go the way of Sodom. Is a takeaway for us all. God is for you. God is for you. He wishes to increase your faith and for you to understand the mission, the life that he has for you. He's prepared to hear your prayer when, as Hebrews 4 puts it, we approach God's throne of grace with confidence and find grace to help us in our time of need. He heard Abraham's prayer. He heard him. He heard his pleading for the people of Sodom. And he was prepared, had the people of Sodom been prepared, to turn around from their lawlessness to him. He was prepared to answer that prayer for them. <coughs> Don't go the way of Sodom. <coughs> so as you leave this place a little later on, remind yourselves of this. God is for you. God is for you. Be for him too. Question you might want to consider over refreshments afterwards. Um, how do I know that God is for me? Are there any examples I can share? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your willingness to save those who will turn to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your undeserved, unmerited grace and favour towards us. Thank you for the mission that you've given us to live first and foremost for you and then to trust you for our life ahead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great promises for each of our lives. Let them come to fulfilment as a people of God. Amen. Amen. Amen.